Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. for Cryptocurrent. I'm Stephen Miller and you're watching Cryptocurrent Live, the show where we bring you the latest and greatest in crypto every single Tuesday and Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. As always, on my Thursday edition, I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Corneros. How are we doing, Chris? Doing great, Steve. How are you? Great day in crypto land, my friend. We got a lot of news to cover. Um, Some less good news to start out the show. We actually have breaking news at the top of the show, which I didn't think we were going to get into, but... Um, Alas, here we are. We're going to give you our breaking news for this show. Breaking news. So today on our Thursday edition, we've got good news and bad news. Chris, do you want me to go good or bad first? Let's go bad. Let's end on a high note. All right. Well, in that case, let me talk to you a little bit about the Crypto.com hack that we brought up on our Tuesday show. Um, Crypto.com's CEO just confirmed that the hack did in fact affect more than just the one user that reported it. Um, they have now got the tally up to about 400 customers. And the total is about $33.8 million. So not good news for Crypto.com customers. Um, I'm really concerned about that myself. I'm not personally a Crypto.com user, but Chris, I know you are. How do you, how do you feel about it? Oh, I feel fine. The amount of money I have on Crypto.com is so low, they are not going to be looking for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, They're looking for the whales. They they want that get rich quick hack. Well, look, for right now, and this is, I guess, a word of warning to those of you that are using crypto.com. Um, if you are not self-custodying your larger assets, I would recommend that you do so now. Um, this is a really big word of warning. Crypto.com is a great on-ramp. You should be using them to invest if that's a, the place that you enjoy from a platforming perspective. But they still don't know what actually caused this hack. They have no concept of actually how the vulnerability was exploited. They're still investigating. So, yeah. Um, I mean, when when it first came out, we were talking about it on Tuesday. Um, I know there was the, uh, the, there was the thought that it was something to do with two-factor authentication. And I know Richard briefly mentioned it, but for everyone listening, do not set up two-factor authentication with your phone. It is incredibly easy to hack a phone to the point where I think it was like a vice reporter was doing a piece on you know how secure actually is 2FA if you use your cell phone. And the guy he was interviewing texted him from the guy's own phone, from the journalist's phone. He said, this is how easy it is. It's not secure in any way. So, so now, now an authenticator app. Just, yeah, I was going to say, just to give a little bit of clarification here, we're talking about SMS text messaging. 
from your phone. We're not saying that your cell phone is easy to compromise. If you're using something like Google Authenticator, Authy, there are a hundred other apps like this that'll allow you to use a two-factor authentication code that generates on a 60-second basis. Worth keeping that in mind. That's a great security recommendation going forward. So that's one quick recommendation for you. The other piece of breaking news out literally just hours before the show, um, Twitter has announced that their NFT verification system is now live. So if you're using an NFT profile picture on your Twitter profile, you can now actually connect to your MetaMask and verify um, through Twitter that it is your PFP. So I think that's a really cool innovation within the space. They're going to be the first mover to actually implement it. I'm stoked about it. I know you're not a big PFP collector yourself. Not um, at but, all. <laughs> but look, I, I, I still think that for somebody who's outside of it, it shows that like people are starting to really legitimize NFTs. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those things where even though I don't have that many collected, uh, I, still, I still think there's a clear use for it. And I think that the people that will use it are going to love it. So you know, yep. props to Twitter. They said they were going to do it and they pulled through pretty quickly. Yep. And look, that's, that's going to wrap up breaking news real quick. Um, but for those of you that are joining us here for the first time, normally we cover all of our news in a segment called Buy, Sell, or Hodl. We're going to get into that in a minute. But if you are new here, do us a favor. Click that subscribe button. Hit the like button. Let us know how you're feeling about what we're talking about in the chat or in the comments if you're playing this back. Also, we do actually recast this through all the podcast platforms that you prefer um, two days after our live streams. So if you're listening to this recasted, come and join us on the live stream day. We do this on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. But without much further ado, why don't we bring up what we're talking about on the big show today? And that is a lot more about top institutions that are betting on the metaverse. So there's a lot going on in this space right now, guys. Alluvium is our topic of the day for um, a segment that we have come to love on this show as two bulls, one coin. But we have to start with the news in buy, sell, or hodl. Buy, sell, or hodl. So as I said, buy, sell, or hodl is where we give you our take on the big news of the week, whether we think it's a buy, meaning it's bullish, it's a sell, meaning it's bearish, or if we need to hodl it, and start like stepping back from it and looking at the bigger picture. Our top story today is talking about the big VC moves that have happened in the last week. And all of them seem to be trending towards the metaverse. So first up, Andreessen Horowitz has announced the largest of it. They're in the middle of a five point, about a $4.5 billion raise to start new crypto funds at Andreessen Horowitz. Now their crypto arm is A16Z Crypto. Um, and I have to imagine that this is all going to be within that arm and not necessarily in the central Andreessen house. Um, I find this really interesting. They already have billions in. The fact that they're willing to go more um, is a really great leading indicator of what they think about you know, the metaverse and the crypto in general. So I'm very bullish on that one. But I'm, I think, honestly, I'm more bullish on the next one, which is Secret Network. Um, we've talked about Secret Network on here in the past. They have a great platform for both NFTs and also configurable security on the blockchain. They just concluded a $400 million raise from CoinFund, Alameda Research, HashKey, and Defiance Capital to fund their ecosystem growth. So a lot of stuff going on there. And then this, the final big money play, not that all of it's not big money, 
Anamoka Brands, um, the brand behind the Sandbox and about 50 other projects, just concluded a raise of $359 million to build out their open metaverse. So their war chest is enormous. Chris, on the top three stories, which of these catches your eye as most dramatic? Honestly, the Anderson Horowitz, I mean, that's a stupid amount of money. <laughs> and that that's why it catches my eye, right? That is a you know, that's a major investment from them. But, you know, the headline itself is actually saying that they're raising it. So this isn't even them spending their own money. This means that their incredibly wealthy, high profile clients are going to them and saying, Hey, we want to get into this. And that's what they that's essentially what they're saying here is Yes, obviously they believe in it because A16Z has their crypto arm, but this is more their clients now who are ultra wealthy saying, you know, this is clearly a money making opportunity and this is clearly going to be here for a while, get us into the right projects. So that's definitely going to be one to watch. And they've invested in basically every major project in crypto, I think. So I'm interested to see if they're going to be picking up any smaller cap projects next. I suspect that they're already actually in a lot of small cap um, projects, but they don't have to disclose any of it. And that's one of the things that I think is lost on people sometimes. They don't realize that Andreessen can literally just like do whatever they want to because they're not a publicly traded company. Um, mm-hmm. So the one that I will tell you that I'm, I'm really intrigued by here is that Secret was able to lock down a $400 million raise. Um, they are a very legitimate project at this point. I'm really impressed with what they're doing. I would not be surprised to see them inside the top 50 before the end of the cycle. They're currently on CoinGecko traded at the 96th position in terms of overall market cap. So just worth keeping in mind, they're one to watch. The last two pieces in terms of venture cap investment news, you have Autograph NFT, which is Tom Brady's big NFT platform. They do a lot of their NFT releases through DraftKings. They raised 170 million additional dollars from Andreessen Horowitz's A16Z fund and others. And then a personal favorite of mine, one that I just have really close to my heart, is the POAP project, proof of actual participation. Their badge app raised an additional $10 million of funding to basically help them with additional development. Um, if you've not checked out POAP, I really do recommend that you go check it out. It's a really interesting protocol, totally free to use, um, both for securing your own POAP NFTs or to create your own. So very cool stuff out of there. Chris, there's so much money flowing in right now. I'm I'm really surprised that we aren't seeing more price action based on this news. But I think it's a great indicator of where we're headed, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, to your point about price action... It makes a little sense that we're not seeing it because a lot of these are indirect investments right now, right? They're just commitments to invest in, you know, the general ecosystem or to develop a certain thing. It's less so, you know, like we saw a few months ago where you had Andreessen Horowitz basically investing major money, not even to develop things. They just wanted to invest in, you know, various tokens because they knew the price was going to go up. This is more of an indirect investment. That being said, you will see some price action at very random times or seemingly random, probably six or so months from now, once this capital starts to kick into these development projects. Well, let's go ahead and move into our next group of stories. These are all having to do with the non-fungible space. So 
This one I really am quite interested in your take on. So the G2 Esports team has announced that they're launching their own NFT on the Solana network under the Samurai Army banner. So it's going to be a membership pass for their fans, and that's coming in February. They're a really big um, competitive esports team, games that you would know, Chris. Tell us oh, yeah. your, your take on this, because I can't quite remember who, like what games they're known for playing. So they're a... I mean, they're a top five esports organization in the world. Their founder, uh, Carlos, uh, he goes by Ocelot online. Um, he was a former professional League of Legends player and then launched Gamers 2, which later became G2 Esports, uh, I think about almost 10 years ago now. And they have just blown up ever since. I mean, they have world championship teams and level teams in esports ranging from League of Legends to Counter-Strike to, I believe, Siege and Valorant, everything you can imagine. And they're big. Like they are, you know, one of the few teams or organizations in the world in esports that is actually profitable to some degree. And as you can see, their logo does kind of look like that, you know, stereotypical samurai helmet. The samurai army is kind of a name for their fan base. And so you know, while this is definitely partially a cash grab, it is also a great community building tool because it will allow the diehard G2 fans to basically show off, you know, look, I am going to, you know, I am an actual fan. I spent money on this. And this ties in great, Steve, with the Twitter blue news that now you can verify NFT ownership. So it's kind of like a badge of honor for a lot of fans, um, you know, in the space. But kind of think of G2 as you know, essentially a phase plan just based out of Europe and on a slightly smaller scale. There are, this is a big deal. TLDR, it's a big deal. Cool. And to me, again, like I think that gaming is going to continue to be one of the biggest narratives this year. But I think that it's absolutely going to take a backseat to our next story. And that is that the Puppy Bowl at the upcoming Super Bowl is launching low-energy NFTs to benefit Ariana Grande's animal rescue charity. Now, let me be abundantly clear. I am only saying this because Ariana Grande is an enormous celebrity, right? The Puppy Bowl is not like the focus of this as, as much as they're absolutely adorable. But when you have a celebrity of that nature that is that big of a star, it brings a lot of eyes onto NFTs. And I think that it's still going to be the easiest entry point for the majority of the consumer market to enter into the crypto space, even without feeling like they are actually stepping in. So... Interesting piece of news there. And lastly, we do have another gaming piece. And that's that Mythical Games, who is, I believe, another A16Z project. They just announced that they have purchased a game streaming startup to help them build out their game um, within the metaverse. So very interesting news there. A lot more money is just moving and flooding into the metaverse. Now, that being said, right now there's a lot of money leaving the market. Um, if you are with us live, you will probably notice that the markets right now, they are a dropping. Um, we are just seeing right now across the tickers that Bitcoin is about to crack below 40 and Ethereum is officially below 3000. Yep. To, to me, that's a great time to buy Ethereum. I'm going to continue to watch Bitcoin really closely. If it continues to drop below 40, and we see it eclipse. I think the next mark was about 38.5. If it goes below 38.5, we're going back to 30. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so 
interested to see what happens with the market, but it's not looking good right now. So we'll continue to monitor it and keep you posted. As for our lightning round this week, we got five additional stories we want to make sure that we just bring up quickly for you. Um, The web browser Opera has announced that their Web3 focused crypto browser has officially entered beta testing. That's big news because it means you're going to be able to interface with all sorts of different Web3 applications, use Web3 domains, all within the Opera browser. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. Intel has announced that they're going to be revealing their ultra low voltage ASIC Bitcoin mining chip here shortly at an upcoming conference. This is a huge deal. Do not let anybody tell you this is not a huge deal. If it's affordable and they can get it out into devices this year, that is going to be a game changer within Bitcoin's uh, mining narrative as for it being like a massive energy waste. So that's huge. Next piece, Hedera um, has officially voted to purchase the Hashgraph algorithm IP from the Hashgraph organization. I don't believe it's... The Hashgraph organization, it's Swizzle or something like Swirled. that. Yeah, so the the like Hedera ruling council or has some name like that. I think it's like Hedera governing council is made up of about 25 or so companies and a few people. A lot of those companies you might recognize, for example, Google is part of the Hedera governing council. They voted, you know, I think it was literally a day or two ago to essentially purchase the intellectual property that is this Hashgraph algorithm and kind of shift Hedera to an open, you know, an open source development project, whereas now it's open review, which just means you can look at the code, but can't change anything. Yep. And the last two pieces of news, um, I'm going to speed through here, but the UFC champion Francis Naganu has announced that he will officially be taking his winnings in Bitcoin on future fights. Um, I believe that's enabled by Cash App, which is really mm-hmm. cool. And then probably the biggest out of our lightning round stories, South Korea, if you are not aware, they instituted an ICO ban about four years ago. And now their presidential candidates in the current election, Yoon and Lee, both are looking to reintroduce ICOs following this four-year ban. I think that this is really great news for the crypto space, especially because we have so much development talent in South Korea. So... That, folks, is going to wrap up Buy, Seller, Hodl for this week. If you have another story that we didn't get a chance to cover on this show, do me a favor. Let us know in the comments. We'll make sure that it's in the rotation for our Tuesday show when we come back to you um, with Richard Carthon on that episode. Otherwise, if you liked what we we covered on today's show, hit the like button. We'd really appreciate it. We need your help to make sure that this can get out in front of more eyes. Now is the time that we go into one of our favorite segments, where we get into breaking down just a brand new project to have on your radar. This is Two Bulls, One Coin. Two Bulls, One Coin. So Chris, every single week, we like to bring our audience a brand new coin that they should consider from the perspective of two DGENs who invest in a lot of different projects. Our project this week that we're talking about is Alluvium. Now, before we jump into this, you have two different sides of the coin here when it comes to your hosts. I happen to be very bullish on gaming projects into the next year. And Chris is very skeptical about gaming projects into the next year. So make sure that you continue to keep those things in mind. But understand our opinion on this project is not financial advice. We always lead off the show by saying that. But we want to make sure that everybody is still very aware of that as we run into this segment. So Chris... 
why don't you get into the background segment of what is alluvium? Talk to the audience about it. Yeah, so alluvium is it is a crypto gaming project. It is their goal is to essentially become the first true AAA crypto game. For those that are tuning in that don't know, a AAA gaming title means it is developed by a massive studio with hundreds, if not thousands, sometimes of developers, artists, etc. So essentially think of a AAA game as something developed by like an Activision Blizzard, a Rockstar Games, a Riot, etc. And Alluvium, the game, is an open world uh, kind of Pokemon style game. Pokemon style in the sense that you are traveling around exploring an open world, but you're also capturing monsters and basically combining them, trading them to get better monsters and then fight other people, right? And become the best, you know, Alluvium player you can. Interestingly enough, it is built on the Ethereum blockchain. And I'm interested to see, Steve, and we can kind of discuss this more later, if they'll actually stay on Ethereum. From what I understand, their intent is to fully stay on Ethereum. Okay. Um, and that is only after I've listened to Kieran Warwick talk about it like six different times. Fair enough. Uh, they may they may in fact deploy some of the NFT assets to a layer two, but I do not I don't anticipate them leaving the Ethereum ecosystem. So they could they could carry out to a layer two like Polygon or Immutable X, but I don't see them leaving Ethereum for sure. Um, the other interesting thing about this project when you start getting into it is, I mean, really this relationship that it has to what people just say is like Pokemon, but on the blockchain. Um, the way that I like to tell people about NFTs and gaming is by like relating it to Pokemon Go. Mm-hmm. And in this case, there's one massive difference. If you play Pokemon Go and you catch, you know, let's just go with a Squirtle, right? And you train that Squirtle up, you evolve it to a Blastoise, you can either transfer it and get candy, or you can hold on to it. There is no, I'm sorry, or you can trade it to another user, but there is no benefit in terms of doing any one of those things from a monetary perspective. In this game, you have the ability to get all of these creatures from around the Alluvium world, but you can sell them to other players, you can trade them with other players, and it is a progressive play-to-earn model in that way. Right. So number one, if you look at these cards, I think that it's really clear that they have developed a great, great art set for this game. And I'm really interested to see how many monsters there are in this game. Um, but it is so I think right it, now it's I about a hundred. Say again. I think it's about a hundred different alluvials, as they're called, um, are in the game right now, or like 150 maybe. Obviously, I think their plan is to add significantly more down the line. But the first iteration that most people will see when the full game launches, they're, I think, still essentially in a closed beta. When the full game launches, the goal uh, will be to have 150 out that I believe are already designed and fully ready to go. Yeah, I got you. And to me, again, like I think that it's just, it's really apparent that like it's well thought out. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into the next piece. And that is the concept of Alluvium Zero. And this is a, a part of this open world game where they're trying to, I believe, make it more like, um, what's the, I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm thinking of like World of Warcraft, but there's another game that's like it 
they, they, they develop land assets like this. But it's supposed to be almost like a facilitated feature within that overall ecosystem. So you'll be able to play open world, but you'll also simultaneously be able to do this with your own land and build cities and stuff. Basically, it's a mini game. Um, so I'm really fascinated by that part of this because it m- makes a multi-dimensional nature to this game. Do you know the other game I'm talking about? Off the top of my head, no. But I will say that image does make me think of like a Clash of Clans type deal where you build out like your kind of fort and it looks like there are you know, different kinds of buildings that probably serve different functions there. So that was my first thought, at least when I saw that. Yep. And again, for right now, that land cell component is coming soon, um, but you're going to be able to take further advantage of different metaverse environments and building out you know, your own territory the way that you want to. So the land sales are going to be coming soon. Keep an eye out for that on their Twitter and on their Discord. But also you have the Alluvium token, which trades under ILV. The Alluvium token is going to be used for their in-game marketplace, but it has currently amassed quite a following and it is being traded in very high volume in a lot of different places. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. But just off the top here, now that we've gotten into the background, um, if you have any questions about this, feel free to shoot it to us in the chat or as a comment after we're done with the stream. Um, we'd love to talk to you more about this project and address what you're interested in about it. Chris, is there anything that you see off the top just because you have so much like experience gaming and you, you know, fancy yourself somebody who understands the industry. Is there anything in the background here that really is compelling to you or are you just strictly skeptical? Um, honestly, I mean, the art looks great. The general idea of the kind of combat system seems great. My issues are more, I guess, bigger picture. It's less with the specific mechanics they've released so far. My biggest worry is that, you know, this is, uh, for those who don't know, this is fundamentally an MMORPG, which stands for Massive Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game. It is fundamentally will be in the same category as a World of Warcraft. And those are the riskiest games to develop because they take more money than any other kind of game to develop. And if you do not do a good job at launch, you will kill your game forever. And that's the thing. Is This really comes down to, if they do not have a good launch, they essentially will erase years of work, millions and millions of dollars in value. And we saw that recently, actually, in the, I'll call it off-chain gaming uh, with Amazon. They released a new MMO called New World. In theory, it was great. And when it launched, there was a lot of cool things they were doing differently that made millions of people play it. And their player count right now, maybe five, four months after launch, is I think less than a like tenth of what it was. So that's, you know, I'm skeptical. But at the same time, the mechanics look cool. The art looks cool. And it seems like they're passionate about making this work. So, you know, who's to say what'll happen? Yeah, and I think one of the things that I guess I'm most encouraged by is number one, Kieran has been really, really upfront about the fact that anything that they share, they're hardliners on the fact that they're not just going to show pre-gameplay or like mock-ups of stuff. They're going to show what the game actually looks like being played. 
Yeah. That's a really big deal to me. I I like seeing that it's real. When I look at gaming projects, like you can really just go chop together um, screens and some like fly through trailers pretty easily using just outside graphics that you can buy online. It's really a market that can be manipulated quickly with that type of stuff. So I, I always watch out for that. The other piece that I'm encouraged by in this is honestly something that I've learned off of a different project. And that is a project called Treeverse. Now, before I get into that, Chris, would you say when I bring up the game RuneScape, is that an MMORPG? Yes. That's like, that honestly may be, you know, if it's not the first, it was one of the, it was one of the first true MMORPGs with, I mean, just a crazy amount of players. And still to this day, I mean, that game is over, I think, 20 years old at this point. They haven't really launched any major updates, you know, to the best of my knowledge, and they still have a ton of players. Yeah. So the the reason I bring up RuneScape is because that was honestly one of the very first ones that I ever played. Oh, same with me. And that that was back, like, literally in the early 2000s. So that being an online, free-to-play, internet, MMORPG sets the bar. But over the past 20 years since we started playing that game, they have made updates to that game. They have actually released like different graphics updates over time. Mm-hmm. And even in a short period of time, while the project in the blockchain space called Treeverse, which really does seem to be like a crypto-driven version of RuneScape, they have in a very short period of time given massive updates to their RuneScape-like environment. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because if we start out with Alluvium V1 and it's not looking like the best of graphics, that's not to say that Alluvium in the background is not going to you know, drop a massive update to the graphics processing in like the next year, in the next six months. Um, that to me was a big lesson to learn. Um, because once once you get into these free to play games, it's not just like you know it's one edition and then you have to go to the store and buy the next disc. It's an ongoing update cycle. I'm so, actually glad you mentioned that, Steve, because what I learned when I was doing a lot of research about Alluvium is it isn't actually free to play. You only get essentially the tutorial free to play. After that, you have to buy a version of the game to really get the full experience which is a bit of a red flag to me because it's, it's, it's just very interestingly advertised. They come out and say kind of, and they try to portray, you know, it's free to play, you'll get all this access, but you're actually paywalled, you know, beyond probably the first few hours of play. So I'm, I'm definitely going to look further into that because I was not under the impression that that is how it worked. Um, but at the very same time, at least you're now hearing two sides to it in terms of like the things that we look for when evaluating a gaming project. So I, I want to make sure that from the educational standpoint, our audience understands that is a really big takeaway, less so about like, you know, the truth of it being totally pay in to play, or if it's, you know, a more free environment that we're giving a credit for. Yeah. That's, and that's and that's not to say also that it's a bad thing that it's not, you know, fully free to play, right? Like look at the Call of Duty friend. Actually, even better than that. Look at like the FIFA franchise, right? You are fundamentally paying, I think now $70 a year for the new FIFA 
And all they really do is slightly update the graphics and the rosters. The mechanics are the same. So if people are paying, you know, $70 for that every year and have been for, I think, you know, over 20 now, that's not to say that, you know, Alluvium charging a one-time price is going to be bad if they're going to keep building it out down the line. So take that out of the grain of salt, right? Like I was just putting that out there, whether it's good or bad, who knows? Because we also don't know the price yet. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it could also be like, you know, them dropping it is like a pass. Like you have to buy a pass to the game. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, you know, additional feature sets down the line that you may be able to unlock. Kind of the way that World of Warcraft and other like DLC packages have been, you know, used in the past. But again, they're probably gonna be dropped as NFTs and that'll allow you to resell them very easily on the open market after the fact. Mm-hmm. So lots of lots of you know pluses and negatives here. But let's move into a quick risk assessment. So Chris, as you had said, the vision for this is that it's going to become the first AAA game in the metaverse. Now, you can see on the left some of the graphics, some of the early renders of what gameplay and fighting looks like with these creatures. Um, But what's more important than that for me, because again, I think every project can have a roadmap and a vision. The thing that's most important to me is always evaluating team. So from left to right, you have Kieran Warwick, who is their CEO and like I believe lead founder. And then you have his brother, Aaron Warwick. Now, I'm going to bring this up in a minute, but the Warwicks have become something of a dynasty within crypto's short-term tenure. And that's because their other brother happens to be the founder of the Synthetics Protocol. So these guys are very well connected within the crypto space, as we're going to get into in another second here. but Aaron has not just designed one game. He's been a game designer for quite a while. He's, you know, no stranger to this space. Kieran has a lot of the connections needed to drive the thing forward. Now, that's where they brought in Nate Wells, who is a producer known for his involvement in the Bioshock franchise. Chris, from your experience in the gaming world, talk to me about what you know about like Bioshock and how the gaming world views it. Well, people love it. It's uh, so a little different. It's a single player game, but it's, you know, had several iterations throughout the franchise's lifestyle. And I believe like all of them are very, very well received, look great graphically, they play well. And the most important part about single player games is they're very replayable. People will go back years after beating these games just to replay them because they were that good, which is definitely a good thing. But to your point about the Warwicks, actually, I'm very hesitant about Aaron Warwick because every time Kieran talks about their team, he brings up Aaron. He says, yeah, you know, he has this experience designing games, but he actually doesn't. And thank God for LinkedIn because I did some digging, you know, via LinkedIn, found Aaron's LinkedIn and learned that, you know, realistically, his game experience is, you know, not working at any big studio. It's not building these insane mods. It's building like tiny add-ons to slightly tweak versions of the game on his end. And that's literally hit the extent of his experience in game design. Beyond that, his profession is actually, I think, is like a tennis coach. And that is not talked about basically ever. But it makes me a little nervous that you push this narrative that you know he is this great game designer when he 
really doesn't have much game design experience. That being said, and back to your point about Nate Wells, like he is a true, you know, veteran of a AAA studio and AAA titles. So that's good, right? It, at least you have someone good kind of heading it up. The vision is there and he understands what a successful game needs to be successful, but also what it needs to actually have that longevity and to continue creating value far beyond the launch date. So now I want to make sure that there's another clarification here. When we're talking about game designer versus producer, there is an absolute line to walk, right? My point in you know making sure that this is really, really clear is that as a producer, Nate Wells has been like in charge of truly designing the gameplay and like, you know, looking at the mechanics, the overall actual deployable feel and like interfacing and the look. I think from what I understand about Aaron's role with this project is that he has kind of like the master view of it from the top down. So I, I hear what you, I hear exactly what you're saying, but from what I understand, that is Aaron's role is he has kind of developed the higher plan for it and almost like the zoom out to a thousand feet view of what Alluvium is, how it how it's meant to be played, all of that. So just interesting to keep in mind. Let's go forward into long-term playability and value, which frankly is probably the most uncertain part of this. Oh, actually, I lied. We got to step back for another second. The last thing you need to understand about the leadership of this is that they wouldn't still be in power were it not for these people up on screen now still backing their you know involvement with the project. So you have some really top-tier venture capital funds involved in this. The ones that stand out to me are Delphi Digital, Moon Whale Ventures, um, BlockSync, Yield Guild Games. Those are the ones that are really big to me. But bigger than that, you also have private investors who have actually staked a ton of money with them. Um, you have one of the founders of Ave. You have Kane Warwick, who's, of course, their brother. He's the founder of Synthetics. You have the CEO of QuantStamp. Um, what, where was the other one? Sebastian Borget from uh, Sandbox. So you've got some really big names there, but I don't want to get onto that too long. I do want us to carry on to the playability and the uncertainty factor there. Um, Chris, I want to give the, give you the total floor on this one. What is your thoughts? Because again, a lot is uncertain right now. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be tough because I actually... One thing I will give them credit for is it seems like they're making it... Well... There's going to be two parts to this and they're completely conflicting to a certain degree. One thing I really like is that they're actually taking skill to a certain degree out of the game in that the way the battles work are you essentially, you know, you set your lineup of monsters, you equip them with weapons, armor, whatever, you equip your own, you know, in-game character and then you hit fight and basically your team and the other team will just battle it out. There's nothing you can do during a fight to change its outcome like in Pokemon, right? Like in Pokemon, you choose the moves. If your Pokemon's health is low, you could give them a potion. All of that is going to be, you know, out of this. And it's not like in a shooting game, there's no, you know, physical aiming mechanic required. It will really come down to how well do you understand the game itself, the game's mechanics, as well as, you know, certain matchups. So that's good. The reason that's good is because it is going to bring in a lot of players. 
The reason that's not good, though, is because, you know, to a certain degree, top players and, you know, whether this team wants to admit it or not, but the gaming industry is, you know, starting to realize this is games are carried by your top players. When you look at the longest lasting games out there and you look at the most watched esports, they're always going to be carried by your absolute top tier players who can do things nobody else can. And they can do that because there are skill gaps. There are ways to be like, yeah, I'm objectively better. And they've mastered these things that make them stand out. And to me, I think the lack of that is going to kind of kill the drive for some people beyond just collecting you know, every alluvial you can. And to me, that is a big question mark, right? Because in theory, I think you can literally load up the game, drop a bunch of money, and essentially accomplish everything that it's set out to be, which makes the game play to win. And, or pay to win, sorry, not play to win. Uh, pay to win. And that's not great. And we've seen a lot of games, most famously Star Wars Battlefront 2, which, yeah. which was pay to win, just absolutely melt down in the span of days because there is, you know, there was a skill gap, but you could literally, you know, instead of spending a thousand hours, which I think is what it was to like unlock Darth Vader, you could just go spend a hundred dollars. And so you had people buying the game, buying the best person destroying a lobby and realizing, wow, that was boring, and then stop. And then you had the you know, hardcore players all gave up on the game for that reason as well. They're like, why would I invest time in this if you can literally just play to get to kind of a level I'm at to some degree? And that to me is a huge concern. Because at the heart of it, the real gamers and you know whether crypto gaming wants to acknowledge this or not, Crypto is not going to carry crypto gaming. What will carry crypto gaming will be convincing you know, the traditional gaming market, the traditional gaming industry that these are good games. You should play them because they're good, they're fun, they're competitive. When you take out the skill level, you take out some of that competitiveness, it kind of leaves you in a shaky spot. But we also don't know. And that's the thing. It's still in a closed beta. The open beta hasn't come out yet. And where it's going to go from here, who knows? Because for all we know, people will play it and be like, wow, this is an awesome, great feeling game. It's rewarding to win. It's rewarding to grind away at it. And if that is the case, this game will be huge and will become a AAA game. Yeah, I think the one thing that I can say about this on the long-term value perspective is if you want to say that crypto is in early innings, when it comes to gaming, like the stuff's still in the parking lot, okay? Like it's not even in the stadium yet. And when I look around crypto gaming right now, I mean, yeah, like there are plenty of projects that are rushing their games into alpha, you know, to let people play. But when I look at the value of a project, what can really be a billion dollar project? I'm really hard pressed to find one that I'm more impressed by than Alluvium. Everything to me seems like there are a lot of boxes checked. I really like the team. And this even extends beyond the three that we've told you about. And again, when I'm evaluating a project, I also look at their advisory 
And mm-hmm. to me, the people that they have working on this, they have successfully deployed um, play to earn games, not just pay to win. So those mechanics are definitely built into this game. I'm just curious to see how they end up deploying it and the way it rolls out over time. Because Chris, you're dead on. Like this will ultimately succeed or fail based on gameplay. It has to convince people. So for right now, if I'm asking that question of like, okay, is it a good time to buy this? Well, as of today, the value of this project on a per coin basis is $743.62. They have decent trading volume, but over the lifetime of the project, like it has seen higher um, higher trading volume and it's also had much higher price. This project got up to right around $2,000. So like that's not any small like feat especially because it debuted, I think the ICO was like right around 40 bucks. So to see it do that type of run is insane. But I don't think that like we're even seeing the half of it right now. I think that we're seeing like the Bitcoin chart in the first like year and a half. I think that if this thing is going to take off, it's going to just run out of control. It's going to be wild. But from what I can tell right now, where we are today, is it a good time to buy? Not financial advice. Also, because it can't be financial advice, I would tell you maybe. Because we talked about it at the beginning of the show. Right now, the market is dipping, okay? It's dipping further than it was before. And at the time of the show um, coming out, when we took this screenshot, the value was about 60% of its all-time high. At the current moment, as I'm refreshing on coin market cap, it is trading between 736 and 729. So still roughly 60% below, not 60% below, sorry, roughly 60% of its all-time high. And now we're proving the second bullet here that it could go lower. Now, when I look at that chart, Chris, I'll tell you what I see. You tell me what you see. I see a lot of support right around that $400 mark. Mm-hmm. And I think that because this is on the logarithmic view, I think that probably extends up to about 550 or 600. So if I'm looking for a really great buy zone, if it were to drop beyond this, I'd be looking anywhere between 550 and 625. That would be where I would ideally look to buy into it. What is your feeling based on what you're seeing in the chart before we get over to some other final stats? What I will say is I think it is incredibly inflated in value right now. Reason being that the maximum supply of alluvium, I believe, is set at about 10 million tokens. So <laughs> you're essentially looking at, you know, if it at $500, if all of the alluvium in existence are liquid, they're all out in the market, anyone can buy or trade them. That makes it what, like a $50 billion game, right? Or am I, no, $5 billion game, which is to, Put in perspective. Still a 10x from here. Yeah. So that's insane, right? Like that is an incredibly high price for, you know, for any game, right? To be valued that high. There are very few game franchises in the world that even sniff at that. And they are all AAA on steroids. But see, right? here's, like, here's, here's why I need to cut in here. I really do think that there's something that you're missing here. And that's that as of, 
right this minute. Axie Infinity is trading at $5 billion in market cap. And that is way after it has slid from a all-time high just above 150 bucks. So to think that it is right now trading at 70, let's just call that 50% of where it was. It had a $10 billion market cap and its gameplay sucks. Like it's absolutely terrible. So oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to think for a second that like, or underestimate the upside here by, by thinking on that type of perspective of like that being a ludicrous valuation within the crypto space. We don't know what a valuation for a crypto game is like even close yet. Oh yeah, I'm just, I'm basing that ludicrousness off of comparing it to the traditional game industry. Um, but, you know, again, there's a lot we still need to see. And what I will say back to kind of the price conversation is I do think it's going to go down from here. It's not financial advice, but when you see Ethereum, which this is built upon, basically get slaughtered over the last month, I don't think this is going to make some magic jump unless they, you know, surprise drop the open beta tomorrow and the gameplay is incredible. Which brings me to my second point. When they announce the beta date, the price will probably shoot up. And then as it gets closer, I would be very cautious on buying Alluvium because if the open beta comes and the gameplay isn't great, it's laggy, the graphics aren't as good, this price will go down so fast and so low that you, I don't even know. Like you'll be hitting the center of the earth. And that's why I kind of think it's inflated because it is very easy to lose four or $500 of value per coin when it is worth about $750. If it were to be worth, you know, $50 a coin, you know, then yeah, you're going to see a five, maybe $10 price correction. But that's just because, you know, the percentages are different because people a lot of times are looking at raw value. If the game open beta comes out and it doesn't do well or doesn't play well, you'll see this crazy drop just because people won't want to pay $750 a coin to be involved. Whereas a lot of people can be like, it doesn't play great, but you know, I'll hold a bunch of these coins that are only worth 30, 40 bucks. And so, yeah, that's just kind of my thought process there. And I want to, as we wrap this up, just leave one thought here. I sound very skeptical and anti this, but the truth is I want this game to succeed. And all of you should too, if you're even mildly interested in gaming on crypto, because if this game fails, it will set back crypto gaming several years because it will make all these other companies that are interested in doing this very hesitant. That being said, and Richard and Steve covered this on Tuesday, we're also seeing major studios like Activision Blizzard, who were just purchased by Microsoft, announce that they want to get involved with the metaverse. And as a major AAA studio, if Microsoft can get Activision Blizzard back on track, things are looking very good for crypto gaming in the long run. And I think the last thing that I'll leave you with before we call this one a segment, because there's no shot in hell that we're getting this done in under an hour today, nope. um, is that when you're evaluating crypto gaming, you need to not necessarily be looking at it for the long term right now. It is still very early innings. If you see a project that has upside and it's dipped down at like after it's already had a massive hype wave, it's typically the right time to be looking into it 
and tracking interest. Mm-hmm. The last piece of alpha on that is if Animoca Brands is invested, you really want to be looking at that project hard because Animoca has been picking winners in this space and you've already seen a ton of traction in those projects. That's the one thing like above all else that like to me spells success for a game these days is having really, really exceptional partners and Animoca is the top right now. So look, that's going to wrap up this segment of Two Bulls, One Coin. If you appreciated what we had to say about it, let us know in the comments. You can, of course, get at me on Twitter and you know grill me for my, some of my um, commentary on it at Steve Miller underscore PHX. Or you can get at Chris at It's Mikis. That's I-T-S-M-E-C-H-I-S. For our final segment in our show on Thursdays, we like to give you the biggest narrative of the week and kind of break down why it is sending shockwaves across the cryptoverse and into the real main stream. And that segment, of course, is the Aftershock. The Aftershock. So it's no secret here that on the Aftershock segment, we do hit the biggest narrative of the week. We break it down for you and help you understand why it is such a big deal. And there is no bigger story this week than what's been going on with Fortune 5 companies betting big on the metaverse. We talked about this early on in the week when Richard and I discussed the whole Walmart buy-in. They announced early on in the week plans to create their own cryptocurrency and NFTs. And they filed several trademarks to make and sell virtual goods. So there's a ton going on with Walmart. Chris, any immediate comment on this before we get into the next piece? Uh, The only comment is that if you haven't yet seen footage of people shopping in Walmart's metaverse, I highly recommend looking it up because it has been hysterical. Um, And if you want to understand what I mean by that, you just need to go and watch it because it's been awesome to see unfold. Yeah. But again, if this is what we see as like early inning metaverse deployment, we're, we're talking about like just scratching the surface of what Walmart really intends to do here within the metaverse. I was talking with my, with my wife about it last night at the dinner table because she works for Walmart. And I was telling her, look, think about the overall store and the experience that we've had in e-commerce across the last 10 years. It's been gradually changing to shop at home and get delivery for everything. If that's what you're going to do and you're going to be able to go into their metaverse store, shop the shelves the way that you want to, figure out what you really need by browsing based on local inventory, and then have it immediately delivered in short order thereafter, there's no, there's no point in going into a Walmart anymore. And for mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people, that's a great perk because not a lot of people really enjoy going to Walmart, right? It is a place that you go to get your shit and get out. Um, to quote a a joke from um, one of my favorite comedians. But beyond Walmart, there were four other three other companies this week within the Fortune 5 that made big news. First of which being Microsoft, when we talked about this as well a little bit on Tuesday. Microsoft acquired Activision Blizzard, the massive gaming house, for $68.7 billion. They're saying that on another note, this could actually stretch up to be a $75 billion deal. This, of course, expands Microsoft's development war chest like you wouldn't believe because they've already got a massive gaming um, department over within their Xbox and the Game Pass um, parts of their business. But Sadia Nadella also believes in supporting many metaverses. So this is actually an investment in their metaverse 
development. So at large, it's bolstering not just the metaverse side of things, but also Microsoft's plan to become kind of the Netflix of gaming. Chris, what's your take on this as a gamer? I love it. I mean, the game I probably play the most is Overwatch, which is one of Activision Blizzard's flagship IPs. And Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard is great for many reasons. Number one being, if you haven't heard about all the controversy about Activision Blizzard this year, you've probably been living under a rock. I mean, huge, huge institutional issues with just company culture, literally starting at the top. Their CEO, Bobby Kotick, 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 whatever it is, has basically been perpetuating this like frat star you know, very sexist kind of sexual assaulty culture in Activision Blizzard for years, apparently, has known about it, has been, you know, threatening people not to come out and say anything, um, and has been also perpetuating it to continue. So I think a change in culture is going to be great. But from a gaming kind of news perspective, this is a big deal. Like Steve was saying, like Microsoft has a lot of game studios under its wing now. They bought, I think, Bethesda about a year ago. Bethesda, Mm -hmm. very famous for making these massive open-world games, uh, mostly single-player, but now enabling more multiplayer. They have the Halo franchise, which I'm sure even people who know nothing about gaming know Halo, know its mascot, Master Chief. They now have Activision Blizzard, which has World of Warcraft, Diablo, StarCraft, Overwatch, Call of Duty, just to name five of their massive titles. And these are all franchises worth billions of dollars independently. But now you're bringing in a massive game studio that has all this experience literally world building. That's what made Blizzard so famous was the robust lore and world building they world building they did on all their games. It made people fall in love with their games and continue to play them for decades after. So from a metaverse perspective, this is great. And to your point about them being the Netflix of gaming, rather than try to win the console war, Xbox versus PlayStation against Sony, Microsoft just said, okay, you can have consoles. We will just take the rest of gaming. And through their Game Pass initiative, have essentially made the Netflix of gaming. It's something like a dollar a month if you have Xbox Live Gold a dollar a month and you get access to thousands of games for no extra charge. You can download and play them whenever you want. That is insane. Yeah, right? I mean, the, thing, the things that they're doing right now is just off the shelf. But I think that it's really telling that they have a very clear direction on what they plan on doing. They're going to be deploying these games to be played in the metaverse. They're going to be deploying these games to be played outside of the metaverse. There is going to be an absolute renaissance in gaming, in my opinion, because of what they're doing. Absolutely. And, and frankly, I'm going to laugh one step further with you because Microsoft is being progressive. You want to know what PlayStation said today? I'm sorry. More specifically, the guy who invented the PlayStation today said? No. What he, he doesn't. Say? He doesn't buy into this whole metaverse thing and he thinks it's all crap. Which is hysterical because PlayStation has their own VR. Exactly. He said he hates VR VR headsets. 
That was another comment he made. Like, I just, I don't understand it. I think that on, on the top of it, like, that's probably the reason why he's not involved in developing PlayStations anymore. But yeah. I mean, again, this is the guy behind the first PlayStation, a visionary before his time when the PlayStation was coming out. Um, it's just worth mentioning. Now, again, two other really big Fortune 5 companies involved in these big bets this week. The next was Google. They came out and said just the other day, they're forming a blockchain unit dedicated to next-gen distributed computing and data storage tech. Then they deployed their um, engineering vice president to head up that unit. Now, when I say that he's an engineering VP, there are probably dozens of engineering vice presidents across Alphabet's infrastructure. The one that they picked was the one that was with the labs division, which is where they do all of the experimental tech. So they picked out the guy that is really most innovative and most forerunning to run this new division. I think that's really telling. The last piece on this news is they also hired on a higher up from PayPal to help them expand their crypto payments and financial services division. Chris, I need you to kind of unpack this for us because realistically, there's a ton that's going on here in this news. But I think that the biggest piece of which is that all the while Google has been like taking it nice and slow, it seems like all of a sudden they just poured a lot of gas on the fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's super interesting. That first point you made that's right on the slides for anyone joining us on YouTube is that they're forming a unit to essentially you know, build a decentralized cloud storage and computing, you know, software database, we'll call it. I love this news because this means the graph is going to be useless as soon as this launches. And I hate the graph. And again, I could go on a long tirade about that. But reading beyond this headline, I am telling everyone listening, although this is not financial advice, it is common sense. The graph was trying to become the Google of crypto. And now Google is coming in to be the Google of crypto. So I would not be surprised if they either pivot or just throw in the towel. Because that's big news. But to the two kind of executive roles we were talking about, I love who they picked for the reason you were saying, right? It's someone who's forward thinking and is not afraid to get experimental. We saw Google try their hand at gaming with Stadia, invested a lot of money in it. It failed terribly. But the fact that they were still willing to at least try is a really good sign that this is who they're bringing in for it. And again, having this PayPal, former PayPal executive come in to look at their crypto payments and services is great because they're probably going to have multi-chain payment, or payment options. And that is good in so many levels, but mainly that it's accessible, right? There are certain coins that aren't available everywhere. You have certain coins that you know are better for transactions, some that aren't. And by having someone you know come from PayPal, which is a payment service, it means they realize, okay, we just need to make it so it is the easiest way possible for people to basically either buy and sell crypto or send it between each other or to use it on our own services. So A plus for Google today. I would say that there's one other piece of this that I think is a really big deal. This is Google basically laying it out in front of Apple saying, if you won't make the progressive move 
to build crypto payments and crypto holding into your card platform, into the Apple wallet. We're going to build it into our stuff and we're going to do it bigger. We're going to do it better. Mm -hmm. This is really, in my opinion, like Google deciding that like we're going to spray and pray a little bit and hope to really carve out a niche for ourselves within the blockchain space to complement all of the other stuff that we're doing because we need to be involved in Web3, right? Web3 is not just you know the financial space. It's the metaverse. It's computing. It's data storage. It's all of this stuff. So to understand that and see that they're willing to come out and take a bigger step into crypto payments and make a dedicated move into that, it's really, really big move. And I, I applaud the fact they did it. I think that's probably the biggest deal in this to me. But that's because I'm looking at it more on the short term. The final piece literally dropped today. And we talked about it a little bit throughout the show and even in the beginning. And that was from Facebook and Instagram, which you, you know now know is fully under the meta banner. And Mark Zuckerberg's pale lizard skin body just made that announcement last year. Um, Facebook and Instagram have announced that following in the wake of um, what Twitter just rolled out today, that they're going to allow the creation, showcasing, and selling of NFTs on their platforms. Basically, opening up Marketplace to now be a place where you can go buy, sell, and trade any NFT that you'd like. And they're going to do what Twitter did. They're going to enable an, an, an NFT verification on all user profiles. So if you want to use a PFP, you can verify and show proof on your profile that you legitimately own what you're using as your PFP. I love this for a lot of reasons, but it was abundantly obvious that this is where we were headed. Okay? Twitter is the winner right now. They're going to continue to be the winner in this. The only thing that they have up on Twitter right now is the fact that they have an existing marketplace platform that this easily integrates into. So don't get it twisted. Twitter is still very much so at the forefront, but I think this is their first step into saying that Meta is a holistic play within the metaverse. They want to provide an e-commerce solution within the metaverse. They want to give you the ability to create NFTs, but they're still going to own you. And that's the thing that really sets me off about Facebook to begin with. Is there anything else that we need to be unpacking about this? Because I think that these are four massive stories coming out in a week, right? This mm-hmm. all happened this week. We haven't had a windfall of news like this in the crypto world, I feel like, since the middle of last year. I was going to so, say it's been months. Yeah. So, I mean, this has to be seen as not just like a one-off. I have to imagine that you're going to have a lot of their competitors wanting to respond, right? There are people that are going to be fired up about this. They're going to be like, well, shit, we can't have Google beating us to market like this. We can have um, Microsoft absolutely dropping us all of a sudden talking to you, Sony, because we're not keeping up. So in your opinion, who are we going to hear from next? What Fortune 5 are we going to hear from next? What massive player is going to come out crypto um, positive or crypto um, future thinking? You know, I think like you were saying earlier, Apple is definitely going to do something, right? They may take a while, but Apple will absolutely, you know, come in and interact in some way. Maybe they go kind of an opera route and just, you know, enable their devices, enable their services to easily interact and talk with Web3 platforms. Maybe they do something completely differently. Apple's definitely one of them. IBM is another one because they're another of the four true Fortune 5, right? Um, 
Fortune 5 typically meaning trillion dollar companies. And I think all but Walmart are tech companies. Um, IBM, another one of those. Similar to Google in that you know their biggest service right now is, I think, essentially cloud computing, IBM Watson, and finding some way to take... Because I believe Watson is the most advanced AI that Delicious. is public, commercially available. I would not be surprised if we saw some crazy integration with Web3 platforms at Watson. And they're actually who I'm most interested in seeing get involved because as you know, as great as Google and all these other platforms are, they're really social platforms. And so the ways they make money are by getting your data. And that kind of defeats the purpose of decentralized crypto platforms. Whereas IBM is a you know, tech developer. They are a service provider, right? Their software is a service. So seeing them get involved with how revolutionary pretty much everything they offer is, I'm, I'm very excited. When they come out and say something, it's going to be big. And I think it will be bigger than everything else we've talked today. Yeah, they, they've kept it really close to the chest. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit that all day long. I think IBM is a great call. Um, I can a lot, almost like as easy as I can, tell you who it, not, who it isn't going to be. It's not going to be LinkedIn, <laughs> right? Like they're so far behind. And like, if there's anything that's been made really clear is that Facebook and Twitter are both going to beat it into the ground. I mean, there, there's just not going to be a place for it soon. Um, oh, I, think, yeah. I think there's two others that are really interesting that I wouldn't call Fortune 5, but like I think are really big players or like, let's just go with the industries that I think are going to come next that you know a lot of different players within the Fortune 5. You have telecom. I think that we've not heard nearly enough about how Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, all of these big players are going to have their own play within the metaverse and within Web3. I think it's coming. I think it's coming I, very I've soon. I've got a telecom hot take for you. And I actually talked about this with Richard about a week ago. I think that T-Mobile will be partnering out of those major cell carriers. I think T-Mobile will be the first to dive into crypto. But I think they'll do it with Helium because they know how far behind they are compared to AT&T and Verizon. And as much as they kind of advertise as fast as 5G, most widely acceptable, best prices, they're still at a fraction of the consumer base. But if you then go partner with something like a Helium and you gain access to their entire network globally, it gives you such a big leg up. It would make international travel T-Mobile easier. I would not be surprised if they're the first because they also have a very progressive CEO who gets into these new technologies and likes sponsoring and kind of being on the frontier to get that leg up. Yeah, I wasn't part of that conversation with you and Richard, but I completely agree. The other one that I had on my mind was looking more so at like, I don't know how to say this the right way. I mean, because like it's, <laughs> it, it is a, a hotter take. Um, I want to actually let it develop a little bit further before I say it. Um, but I oh, think... Give us, give us the hot take. We need it. 
Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on it because I need to actually incubate on it a little bit. I've been I've really been racking my brain about this for the last like day or so since the really big news started dropping. And I I I think you're right. I think that IBM is a great play. I think telecom is absolutely gonna have its day. And I I think that the most common sense next player in, this is not the hot take. It it has to be Apple. It just absolutely. I mean, you look at what Amazon's already doing. Amazon's already been very, you know, upfront about the fact that they're working in the background to kind of bring AWS features and software and and services onto the blockchain. That's not a secret. Yeah. Um, but Apple has been keeping it really close to the vest, and honestly, they're pissing some people off in the fact that like they're not willing to let NFTs deploy through the App Store. I'm willing to bet, based on the type of adoption that we're seeing right now. That's not going to last much longer. And they're going to make that announcement and everybody's going to freak out. Because Mm -hmm. shortly behind that sort of announcement, you have to assume that you're going to end up having crypto payments and building in an actual crypto wallet into your iPhone, which happens to right now have some of the best security for that in the industry. Oh, they're the... They are, you know, as much flack as Apple gets, they literally have the most secure devices on the planet. To the point that it took the entire FBI tech team months to crack a single iPhone, which Apple then figured out how they did it and patched that like in a few days. You cannot hack Apple technology. It is almost impossible as far as the world understands it right now. But I also, you know, I completely agree, right? And we talk about this a lot when. Crypto, especially and with the way this cycle has been going the last year in particular, when big companies are quiet, especially big tech companies, and it's quiet, right? It's not coming out against it. It's not coming out for it. It's when they're saying just nothing in general, that means something big is coming. Because (laughs) there's just no reason, right? Like we saw Tesla buying a ton of Bitcoin about a year ago, right? If you for a second think that all these other big companies, Apple included, weren't involved in crypto already, or at least planning to get involved, you are crazy. And I think Apple's going to come out with just swinging and give us something that blows our minds because they were the first trillion dollar company for a reason. Yeah. And we forget that Disney's already said some stuff about crypto too. I think that their, their plan's just coming into maturity. I'll give the hot take, and I'm not going to dive that deep into it. I think it's Netflix. I think it really will end up being Netflix because at this point, look at the way the world has evolved since we've had the virus. So few people are going to movies. So many movie theaters going out of business. They're going to be, if they're smart, the company that comes out and ends up building out metaverse theaters where you can have a movie-going experience from your home. Mm-hmm. If they do that and they start rolling out some exclusive you know, premieres the same way that you know, Disney Plus has with certain um, high IP properties, they're going to absolutely dominate entertainment within the metaverse. Oh, and yeah. it's, not, it's not even going to be close. You know, you're gonna, if, when you go into the metaverse for entertainment, yeah, you're going to have some independent players that are currently decentralized and will stay decentralized. But the big, big players in the metaverse where the populace will likely adopt first is going to be the Netflix, you know, play. 
as well as the Netflix of gaming, Microsoft. I'd be well, watching this yeah. really closely. It's interesting you bring up Netflix and gaming because I think it was sometime in the summer of 2021, Netflix announced plans to essentially launch their own gaming studio and to integrate gaming with Netflix and Netflix IP. So I agree with you. I think that is a great call there. And I'm also interested to see just how everything develops with them. Because Netflix essentially killed an entire industry with how forward-thinking they were. And so to see what they will do next is interesting, right? Like They're an Apple in that when they do something, everyone takes notice because of how innovative they can be when they want to be. Yeah. Well, look, again, these are big narratives that you guys have to keep keeping an eye on and monitoring. Because again, as you're looking into the future of this industry, if you want to stay out in front of the next trend, you need to be looking for this type of stuff. You need to be asking these types of informative questions and continuing to stick with us here because we're going to do this every single week and keep you updated on what's happening in the world of crypto. That, of course, is going to wrap up the Aftershock for us this week. We hope that you enjoyed it. Give us a like on our YouTube channel if you did. Otherwise, let's move into what to watch for before we wrap this episode up. What to watch for. So Chris, we had a great episode out earlier on this week on Monday. Um, I believe that was with Justin Caswell, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. With Revofy. Yep. And again, Revofy is a Helium-esque play. And then we also have another great interview coming out tomorrow where Richard is sitting down with... Who is Richard sitting down with? Richard tomorrow will be sitting down with Alex Masharov. He is coming from XPX, uh, which is a new approach, I guess, to decentralized index funds, which personally, I think is going to be super interesting because that's not something you hear about often in crypto investing and trading. Yeah, no question. Well, look, there's not a lot else going on in the world of crypto this week. We hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time where Richard and I will be sitting down to give you a lot more crypto news when we get into the news segment there, as well as give you some additional picks for what we think you need to keep an eye on in terms of where you should be placing your bets in the upcoming week. Beside that, it's been a great time with you this, this week. Please make sure you subscribe here on YouTube. Follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Make sure you visit us on social media and definitely visit us up at crypto-current.co so that you can get the latest and greatest in terms of articles and editorial content from our editorial team. We really appreciate you being here. We hope to see you next week. And until then, stay cryptocurrent. We'll see you next time. Yeah.